On with the show. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's another episode of the Voices of Misery podcast, and God damn it, I got a great story for you all to listen to. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a very interesting story, a man with a lot of heartbreak, a lot of conviction, and that's the title of his book, oddly. His name is Shane Flemons, and God darn it, he's got a great story to tell. Shane, thank you for coming on the Voice of Misery podcast. How you doing, sir? Good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the show, man. And the thing is, like, you have a really cool story, and, and I can't wait to share it with our audience. And you've gone through a lot of stuff, and you have one of the coolest stories I've ever heard in my entire life. I just want to get into, like, everything and just kind of just bookend it here with, like, your beginning, your end, and how things came to be, your book, and just get into all this stuff. So I just want to get into the start here. I mean, like, your book is called Conviction, and it's about the injustices of the U.S. prison system and there's just a lot of stuff that went into this book. What does it mean to you to be an author and this story itself? The being the author was overwhelming. I, I honestly never dreamed of me being an author. It just it just so happened that the guys in there after I wrote the first story about one of them, because we you know, we had a lot of uh, you know, we lived together. And he was Henri, and he's in my first book. He's the one that got stabbed. And I, I wrote about him, but I took time. I, I wrote it in punctuation, periods, exclamations, all that, in paragraph form, made it look super nice, and I handed it to him. And he passed it around to all the guys and some of the staff, and it was everybody started coming up and telling me all their stories as I was continuing to live my life behind bars. and. That's how the book Conviction got made. Now, the thing about books in general is most people, when they write books, is they'll just sit there and just have this idea in their head where they live this fantasy life and they'll put it in the words in the book on page form. But you live this lifestyle. How did this book come about and how did you get the inspiration? What is your personal story of how this came to be? Well, I... I started running stuff. I was allowed to. So inside, they there's shock collars, and I definitely wasn't one. But um, they're they're considered lifers, most of them, and that's their home forever. And anyways, they they run the stores and they run the gambling, they run the extortion of drugs and you know phones and cell phones, all this kind of stuff. Well, they uh, they watch you. So whoever walks into those doors. Little do you know, they're watching you. They want to know who you talk to. They want to know what, how your movements. Um, they'll even test you. They, they will do things to see who you or what you're about. I didn't know this. And I, uh, I was going through the system, and about a year and a half into it, um, there was a hit on a guy, and all the lifers got taken out of the mod. I was in the Gladiator mod. Next thing you know, I'm designated to run a store so that store led me into the all the ins and outs of the prison i i knew all the main guys 
I mean, I was making, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And then I started helping the guys that were a little less fortunate, the ones that were trying to get out of gangs. And I, my heart changed. I, I started reading the Bible and I, I used my authority and money to try to help the ones that wanted to help themselves. And I tried to get phone calls to the, you know, the families that needed um, their loved ones that were trying, they stopped using drugs. They started, started doing programs and I tried to help those guys get out. And then from then my book started taking off. Now, how did you end up in prison? Because this is the most interesting thing about this, because I mean, this thing is like, you can see this if you go to a big time movie production, you go to a theater. I mean, your story is a movie in itself. Can you explain how this happened? Like, how did you end up there? So the true story is I, I love fishing ever since I was a little boy. I fished when I was five and six and three years old. My We had a little pond. I grew up on a little tiny farm. I picked cherries till my fingers bled to pay for uh, school clothes. My mom wasn't really um, rich. She worked her tail off two jobs to support us three kids. Um, now she's a teacher and she went back to school and got her master's and I'm so proud of her. But I uh, I love fishing. At, at five years old, as soon as the sun come up, I was down the road. I, I would get spanked so hard when I got home because, you know, five and six year olds should not go to the water by themselves. Yeah. I mean, that's a true story, mm-hmm. but I would be gone. I, for some reason, I love fishing. I, I would eat all day long i would come home at dark i would be covered in uh worms and grasshoppers and fish (laughs) turtles i would catch i mean i i learned all the little ins and outs of all these little things and so i ended up going fishing and i loved it i made 20 something thousand my first year and then it led into me hitting the bering sea and crab fishing and long lining i did very very well um i was a very good deckhand a lot of the guys liked me a lot um, I was always keen because people die out there. Um, luckily, we ne- we never lost anybody. They are ranked number one in the nation for disappearances. Really? But so I go up to Alaska, and I, my son, he was six at the time, says, "Dad, please don't go. Please don't go." And I was like, "Kiddo, I gotta go." He started crying. He's like, "Dad, please don't go." And I said, "I tell you what. I said I, it'll be my last time. I promise, okay, kiddo." And he gave me a hug and. I left. Well, when I got there, like a lot of the guys use drugs. I mean, it's just, I mean, you work 20 hour days and some guys can't handle it without that stuff. I mean, you can, it's just in their minds, they think they can't. So I was on the boat and they told me I wasn't going to go home. And I said, I'm going to go home. And they said, no, you're not. And I said, oh, I am. Anything, one, one thing led to another. And um, there was a fight. Um, one guy had a knife. The other guy had a pin. Uh, a pin. It, it, it was. It turned out really bad. One guy got stabbed. Um, the, I finally told the, the skipper call the coast guard. We got a hold of the coast guard. Um, the coast guard boarded the boat. He says everyone okay. And I said yeah. I said there's a guy in the galley. He's he's hurt. I said he needs some help. I go. I can help. So anyways, he he said okay. He goes in. We get him on the the stretcher. And uh, the helicopter's above us, and he, they drop down this uh, this port. It's like a, a carriage. It's like a like an ambulance bed. Sure. It sure. was plastic. 
So anyways, I'm holding the line. My hands are tore up because I didn't have gloves on, but I'm holding it so he didn't swing. So the Coast Guard guy and I were, anyways, we, we got him up off you know, the boat and the helicopter gets him up, up, up above and everything's okay. We're heading back into town and the other guy comes out and I put my arm around him. I said, hey, I'm sorry, man. He goes, please don't say anything. I said, I'm not. He goes, the skipper will lose his boat. I said, I'm not going to say anything. So anyways, one thing led to another. The judge knew the victim's dad. They were best friends and I went to jail and I made the worst out of the best, you know, out of the worst situation. I made the best I could while I was in there. Now, in hindsight, because I know how these days can go. I mean, like everyone spent a night in the drunk tank, you know, like you spend a night in jail and you're like, holy fuck, I can never do this for a long time. You were there for a very long time, 19 years. So my question to you is, like, how did you pass the time? And if you could go back in time, would you have said something to prevent going into jail? Well, they gave me 19 years. They suspended nine of it. So I did 10. Okay. But the first, the very, very, very beginning was super hard. So um, little did I know it was all over the radios. It was on the TV. But I didn't realize they said I just did this for no reason and stuff. I, I didn't hear any of this until I started getting letters from people from back home. So then once I knew that, I was like, okay, well, that's fine. You know, I mean, they can say whatever they want. I go, I mean, obviously, I knew the truth. They knew the truth. So I was like, you know, let bygones be bygones. But they had me in a single, single cell with cameras on me 24-7. And... They didn't let me leave, and I was there for a couple months going to, like, these little court hearings. So it was it was awful. I'll, I'll, I mean, no family, no phone calls. I didn't know what was going on. Um, I get to Anchorage. Finally, they handcuffed me and shackled me and walked me through the airport, which is super embarrassing, at least for me. Um, for anybody, yeah. Uh, most people should be, but a lot of the guys like that stuff. I, I'm definitely not one. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I'm walking through the airport and people are looking, you know, I got, you know, handcuffs and so it's embarrassing and it's just one thing after another. Cause we, I mean, I'm transported like six, seven times back and forth through that. So I, I meet a lot of their friends. I, I meet a lot of the guys that they've known for a long time and they started, you know, admitting that they were, you know, it wasn't all what was said on the radio and all that. Yeah. which I already knew. But anyways, it started getting a little heated up because they didn't like them. And I said, leave them alone. I was like, do not, you know, retaliate. Just let it be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's just one of those things. And I, I know one of the guys is doing pretty bad stuff still. The other one I, I kind of like, I always did. Um, it's just, you know, I, it was a real bad situation. I, I personally, to this day, think the judge should have pulled himself from that case, but um, I'm not going to, you know, let by, you know, I, I, I can't hold that inside because, I mean, I did, we did very, very, very well while, while I was inside. The guys did a lot of things that are positive from fund, fundraisers to GEDs to um, all sorts of stuff that they've never yeah. got to do, and their families were super happy. Well, these are life skills that people need, and I'm glad that you were there to provide it for them. But 
I do want to ask you because like you're obviously an innocent man here, and uh, I want to ask you like what are your lawyers directing you to say in these in, in, in these meetings that you're having with them? Because you get very limited time to speak to someone from the outside, and I'm sure in your time in your cell you're thinking of these things to say. What are they directing you to say in order to get you out of this? So I can't say I was like perfectly innocent, but at the same time I definitely didn't do what they said I did. So should I have done that time? No. I, I shouldn't have. So my attorney, I, he had me go to the, you know, he wanted me to go the, um, mental route to where, you know, okay, you did it. Da, da, da. I'm like, so anyways, he has, he has me go do this evaluation at a, like a state hospital and the, the main lady, you know, the main psychiatrist or doctor, or I don't know what you want to call them, but they do all these tests on me for you know day after day and she she got done with one of the tests and she goes you don't have anything <laughs> yeah i go i know and she goes you don't have anything i go ma'am i said i know and she looked like really like uh-oh you know and i'm like i'm like i know and she walked out of the room so i got a hold of my attorney i called him and i go i go they're saying i don't have anything he goes, well, if you don't do that, da, da, da. so I was like, I tell, I tell you what, since you think it's the best, but you know, the best way to go, I'll just say the meds are helping. Okay. Whatever. I don't know. I think they were like, um, uh, anxiety at the time. Sure. And I just said, okay, how about if I just say the, the meds are helping with, um, my anxiety and he yeah. said, that's fine. So that's what my attorney told me to do. So I went through that, which caused me so much pain later on, but. I didn't know that at the time. Oh, absolutely not. But I mean, it's such a sad story because like I'm a father myself and I put myself in your shoes. And when I think about you giving your son the last words, like, Hey, this is the last time I'll be back. What is it like when you're not back and you're in jail and you remember those last moments? Cause I'm sure there's, I mean, there's nothing but time for reflection, what are those moments like when you're thinking about your son and those last words? Like, what is going through your mind at that point? So, this hurts me bad because you said it right there. Congratulations on being a dad. It's 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 tough. I uh, so when I was gone, they gave me paperwork right after it happened. I was looking at 240 years, so I didn't think I was gonna make it. So I was like. I already put it in my heart as soon as I seen those, I said, you know, I was like, okay, I, I know I'm not going to get that much time, but I can definitely see that, you know, there's going to be some issues. So I put it in my heart that day that it's going to be a long, long, long road. So I talked to my son six months into it finally. And he hadn't asked me this yet, but I mean, I broke down. I couldn't say anything to him. Sure. So I called my mom. He was there and all I could do was cry. That's all I did the whole time. He was like, dad, dad, dad. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't say one single word. Yeah. And she was, what did you say to him? I said, mom, I said, I couldn't say anything. I, I just cried. So about two years later, I'm into the place where we just did the fundraiser and I'm in the, you know, faith-based program. And I finally get a hold of him again. It was probably two and a half years, maybe three years into it. And it was the first time I talked to him and he's like, dad, so now he's, you know, nine years old. I go, hey, kiddo, how have you been? He's like, dad, 13 weeks is a long time. Because I told him, I was like, dad, it's only going to be gone 13 weeks. Yeah. You know, like before I left for Alaska, I was like, this is my last trip. 
I got 13 weeks and that's all he could remember me saying. He's like, dad, 13 weeks is a long time. And he broke me again. All I could do is sit there and cry. I was like, oh God, you remember that? So three years turned into his 13 weeks and that's all he could remember. So what do you do when you're in jail and there's no way out and you have these promises that you kept, you've got these relationships that you have and it's all taken away from you. You're sitting in a cell at this point and there's a small room and it's just you and some person you never met before who's done something that you don't even know what they've done. You have to share a room with this person. How do you adjust and what do you do on your first night there? My first night, I was brought in to become cellies with a, a gangster. He was a straight gangster, and and I'm not, <laughs> so it was, <laughs> yeah. it was it was it was intimidating because you know here in the states they they separate you from you know certain things. I didn't realize that everybody's with everybody in Alaska. So uh, the thing that got me through was this, you know, little things on the walls that. Little did I know at the time, I thought it was, you know, a coincidence. But, I mean, I, I still believe it was God helping me through all this. Really? Well, I, I believe with all my heart. You know, like faith and I was going through some stuff and I was just in with a serial killer. And I walk out and there was some writing and then writing and it ended up being faith at the end. And I'm like, okay. It was just, I was taking programs and I just, I just found out that I had the most programs um, than almost any other inmate in the history of Alaska. So I was like, oh, wow. So I started pushing paper and learning their system even more because, you know, that's one of the biggest things they're getting from the government is money. And, of course. And it's, it's exactly what I was doing. So I was taking all these programs, which the taxpayers are paying for, but then they're not following the rules of procedure to help follow why they're getting the money. So, I mean, they're getting millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars a year. Well, I'm a, a walking example of, okay, here, here's a guy that's done exactly what the judge says, the pre-sentence report says, the, the, the state legislation's pushing this exact same thing and then now i'm starting to realize hey wait a minute why is then i started you know nitpicking their stuff then they kind of mad then they started moving me around then after they found out i started i was pushing paper the whole time they they moved me around like another 16 17 times to all these prisons and every time you hit a new prison you're down at the bottom you can't work you can't this but i'd get there and i would i'd follow the rules and push paper to get my jobs and it was, it, was, it was a hard, 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 hard 10 years, I assure you. Oh, right. Now, I do want to ask you about your faith because it's so easy in a situation where you feel like it's easier to say, you know, screw this guy up in the sky, God. And it's like, why did he put me in this situation? And this is my struggle as an agnostic human being who I don't disbelieve, but I don't believe as well. And I find it interesting in people in your situation, because like you're by yourself, you're in the cell and you have nothing and you find faith in God and you give him all the praise. But can it also be given the blame because he's the creator and he's in control of everything? Like, how does that work? And this is something I'm very curious about. So you're right, though. Um, people do it all the time. Uh, it's... Uh, 
each each prison was different, but the people are the same. Hmm. Um, a lot of the guys that have done horrible things, which I wasn't aware of, but I am definitely aware of now, they run to God. It 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 actually protects people in there. Little really? do you know. It's, some of the big guys are afraid of the guy. I mean, the some of the shot callers are afraid of God. They're they're afraid of you know. It's I I I I personally believe that they believe that you know eventually they're going to have to come in front of him, and so when the people do go to you know, and it's it, it's one of those things where. You can run to the guy. He's going to protect you. But I think, I mean, not think. I know a lot of the times it was for the wrong reasons. Sure. But th- those guys, I mean, even though they're stone cold murderers, they they still have heart somewhere, somehow. And I, it's way above me. It's, they're even afraid of their own stuff. It's, it's the craziest thing. Well, I guess when you have nothing else but your thoughts in your head, when you're sitting in a room for 23 hours out of a day, probably, I mean, like, I'm not sure I've never been in prison, so I don't know how the schedule works. Don't go. I mean, I, I'm sure your your thoughts and beliefs are to rub off on others. So I, I guess that's how the God thing happens. And it's really good that at least you had something. And I always use two examples. I use if you're in a prison or if you're in a foxhole, you have to have that one last thought where, hey, this could be the end. I want to find something in a higher being. So I'm I'm glad you had that. But I do want to ask you this. um, How is your relationship with your son now? Because you did miss 10 years of his life. What was it like coming back into the former life that you once had after 10 years? I mean, it must be like waking up from a time capsule. It's like 10 years just magically disappeared. Was it fast? Was it slow? What changed? What didn't? And how is your relationship I know it's a lot to throw at you, but there's there's a lot of information to be had here. Um, so when I walked out of the prison doors, I had five hundred dollars, and I worked two and three jobs. I I worked all the time, every chance I got. So when I walked out, they didn't let me go home. They should have, under their statutes and under the laws and what they teach you and how they get their money. I should have been on a plane home that same day. Anyways, they kept me there for many, 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 many months afterwards, but I did good there too. I mean, I, matter of fact, I um, went fishing again. I went fishing a couple times. I saved a, a couple lives. Um, I saved tons of money. And then I was trying to get home though. I wanted to see my kids and family. So I get home and I hadn't seen them yet. And they set a thing up at my mom's and we both broke down. We cried. Um, he had no money in his account. He was, I think, 15, I think. And I was like, kiddo. Anyways, he started working. He had like $8,000 saved up. He was getting A's and B's. Good for him. I was so proud of him. That's awesome. And then I don't know what happened. I, I, uh, he, he dropped the ball and now he's, he, I, I think he's going to the military. But at the time when I first got home from, he was he was rocking it, going to school, working full time. I was I was like, holy moly, kiddo. And uh, I mean, we still love each other. I mean, we we talk and I'm, I'm he he runs a lot and works out. He's talking about going to the military, so pray for me that he gets to go. 
Listen, I am not a praying guy, but I will definitely say good thoughts for him. <laughs> but I appreciate that. Oh, oh, absolutely, man. And and the thing is, Shane, is like I really did find your story touching. And when he came across our table here, I was like, I have to talk to this man because I love everything about your life story. And it's just really touching because like I'm a father, you're a father, and I could never imagine being apart from my child. Was he ever brought to you when you were in prison? Like, did you guys ever do that scene from a TV show where there's like a plastic thing and you put your hands up and you touch each other's hands through the plastic? Do you ever have that moment where you're talking on the phone or anything like that? Nothing with him. My uh, my family did come down and visit me a couple times when I was there. I got sent to Colorado. I shouldn't have, but I mean, it, I got to go on Con Air and I, I, I tell you what, it was one heck of a trip. Um, I didn't get to see him. I saw him when I got home. We hung out. We we still do. Yeah. Um, I opened up my second business. It's going very well. Um, second business, okay. Yeah, I started my my landscaping business. It's doing very very well. And then I my daughter and I went in on a, a rise and ride. It's uh, it's uh, it's renting boats and jet skis. Sure. So we're doing that. We just bought a, a bike to start renting that out. So not only is my first business going very well, my second business is going very, very, very well. And I just bought my first property. So it's 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 going. Well, good for you. And the thing is, it's like we've always had this question on our show. And we've done about 350-odd-something episodes now. And... The one question is, can people be rehabbed? And that's the question that we've asked each other because we've read stories in the show about people killing each other or doing weird shit, multiple crimes and whatnot. And it's like, when you go to prison, can you be rehabbed? Is there any chance of it? Because once you go to prison, it's almost like a different culture. You have to fall in line with the beliefs and, and, and the system that you're in. Even if you're not a part of it, you have to fall in line because otherwise you fall by the wayside and you can become a victim. I just wanted to know, like, how you kept your head on straight and what kept you motivated while you became the person you are now. I think it came from my roots. I I was I had love on one side and I got hurt on the other. I mean, I, I was beat. I was I hung out with some pretty rough crowd when I was a kid. I was allowed to drink when I was two and three. So, oh, no, <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't like all peaches and cream for me. So when I got there, I was. I knew I was in trouble for something I technically didn't do. I was also realized that I needed, you know, be with my family and kids. And then I listened to what the judge said. The judge told me specifically, he goes, Shane, if you listen to what I tell you to do, you're going to be, you're going to do great. And he told me, he told me, he's, he told, but I didn't, I knew that he was, uh, friends with the victim's dad which i wasn't very fond of yeah because technically he wasn't he was supposed to say anything he, he was supposed to take himself out but i listened and i was like you know I, I was i had a cold shoulder at the time i was like you're not even supposed to be up there you know that's what i was thinking you're not even supposed to be up there but i didn't say it so he didn't know that i knew so he told me what he told me and i i followed it to the t i listened to exactly what he said and then i started pushing paperwork to the probation officers and the people up in charge. I was like, so 
the judge said this. Are you guys following this? And at first they didn't see what I was doing, but then they found out, hey, wait a minute, this guy's serious. He's Because he's, I, I would go to one staff and then I'd go to another and get another, and then I'd go to like to a supervisor and I'll have it all on paper. I'm like, well, this guy said this and this guy said this and why are you saying this? And and then I bring up the judge and then I bring up what he said and I'll even give him a copy of it. And then they would transfer me out of the jail. And then I'd, I'd start all over. <laughs> oh, shit. Now, what's the hardest thing to adjust to when you go to prison or go to jail for the first time? What's the hardest thing to adjust to? And what's also the hardest thing to adjust to when you reacclimate yourself into real life or quote unquote real life? I think the hardest thing for prison was the atmosphere. You don't get a do what you want. You don't get a call who you want when you want. That was the hardest thing. You can't call your kids. Hey, do you want to go to McDee's or you want to go to the beach? You, there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing. You're with 60 to 70 other convicts and they're all trying to get up on you. So it was hard. When I got released by the grace of the good Lord, I didn't get um, institutionalized. A lot of guys do. And I... I always had the mentality of, you know, I mean, you're supposed to follow the laws. You're supposed to listen to authority figures. I mean, it's just a normal thing. So I, when I walked out, I still had that mindset. But at the same time, I, I, I know where I came from. And I know I was missing my family. And I know what I would, had gone through. So I was like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm watching left and right. I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention. But at the same time, I knew that. I, I, I wanted to come home to see my babies and they didn't let me. So I, I was, I was like, okay, well, let's see what the guy upstairs is going to allow me to do. So I got a fishing job right away. I started working at nights. So I was working two jobs. Um, I saved a life and I broke my ribs right after that. And then I, uh, I got it finally after months and months, they finally allowed me to go home. And then I went fishing again saved another life saved some more money and bought my business good for you and the thing is is like you are a true success story because a lot of people out there they get out and they go right back to that same life that they knew before but you weren't that typical person like you were just a guy going out on a fishing trip and things happen and 10 years later you're doing what you're doing now what advice would you give to people? Because I'm sure that you've seen a lot of horrible human beings in your life and maybe even befriended some of them because in your time switching from prison to prison or jail to jail or whatever, you've seen people that deserve to be there. How did you befriend them? How did you deal with them? And how did you, like, I don't want to say it, but I'm going to say it. Like, how did you lower yourself to deal with these kinds of people? So I, I humbled myself. I, I prayed about it. I prayed. I pray. I mean, I literally, I was a, a cusser. I mean, I, every other word was a bad word. I mean, I worked on, uh, you know, the highways for many years on road crews and all we do is cuss. And then you go out fishing in the boats and all you do is cuss. Yeah. And then I, I sat and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for days and days and days of humble and kind and caring and asked for the body armor. I mean, I, I was hanging out with, like I said, the worst of the worst. And one day I'm, we're getting transferred mods and I didn't know. I mean, I was, I was still new. I, I hadn't got to run anything yet. I, 
they were watching me, but I didn't know this. I didn't know they were watching every little tiny thing I did. So I'm sitting there and I, we all get pulled out of our mods and we're transferring mods and they're putting all the mean, 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 mean guys all together. Okay. Sure. And so I get put up in this room and I didn't know that the guy had raped and murdered a baby. I didn't know this. So I'm up in the room and one of the, the main guys walks in and goes, Shane, you're not going to get in this room. And I'm, I look and I, he goes, get your stuff and get out. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. So I grabbed my stuff. I walked down and they made me sit on the chair. And this was the inmates, not the staff. This was the inmates. And I'm like, I'm sitting there and the guy goes, some guy walks in and he goes, hey, he raped a kid, man. He killed him. And I'm like, Jesus. I'm like, thanks for not letting me. You know, I don't want to live without the guy. Yeah. I'm like, yuck. And I'm sitting there. And he, uh, they put me in a, 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 with some guy with the entertainment center and speakers. And he had money. I mean, it was like, and then right then I knew that they liked me, you know, a little bit or something. You know, I mean, I was like, sure. I didn't know, though. I mean, I, I did not know they were watching every little thing I did. So, but I knew that they didn't like that. So I, I was, I was like, thanks. You know, I don't know who made the call. Never asked, never cared. I was just like, thanks, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then next thing you know, like I said, there was a hit. I, I, I get a job working for the maintenance and I meet all the, 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 the top guys. And they obviously like me and I'm walking through the, the prison I went to the, the, I went, I went to the kitchen and I was walking back to the, the maintenance department. I worked in maintenance. I got to travel all over the prison. Then I'm carrying like four great big, huge butcher knives through the maximum <laughs> security prison. Yeah. Everybody's looking at me. And I'm, I've done it So, they, I mean, I was like great big, huge knives and maximum security. I was like, looking like. <laughs> Gosh, you know, and anyways, I walked through, I went to the maintenance, we drilled holes through the handles and put things and I brought them back. Oh, man, that's a hell of a thing right there. And, you know, like I kind of want to just touch on your book here, Conviction, and I just want you to explain to the listeners out there, what is this book all about and how do your personal stories tie to the book? The first book, like I said, it was when I was locked up. I, I literally was in Kenai, Alaska. I was writing story after story about the things that I'd been through up to this point. And then I was like, I'm going to bring some of these guys in it because, you know, some of them are pretty bad. So how can I take their stories, put them to where, you know, I hit them in the head a little bit, but at the same time, I can help try to save somebody from going to prison. So that's when I was like, you know what, how can I do this, you know, because the, the, and I told them, like, you guys shouldn't be glorified for that. I mean, going out and, you know, hurting people and robbing bank. I mean, you shouldn't get glorified, you, you know, you anyway. So I wrote a story about one of them. I was like, because he was there. He showed up there. He was in Seward with me. He was a guy I hung out with a lot. And he was a mean dude. I mean, he was he was he was a cold creep. I told him too. <laughs> but he uh, I wrote it and I wrote it to where, you know, it was mean you know, the stuff they did was mean and it was very well, you know, hey, look, it's not good to do this. 
but at the same time I wrote it to where he was a human being with something bad you know I mean it was it definitely wasn't glorifying him so I handed it to him and he read it and he loved it and he passed it like I said he passed it around to the other inmates and then they they loved it and I'd already been writing stories and I'm I've been sending them home and I was getting a lot of feedback so I started putting my money into writing letters and I was pushing like 30 to 40 letters a week and I started helping guys try to change their lives over and that was that was that I I never looked back that's a hell of a service that you're doing there and just in closing here I just want to let people know because I I think your story is very touching I I think you're a very cool guy and thank you for being very candid and open where can people buy your books where can they find you on social media and just anything Shane Flemons where, where can they find you so I'm I'm new at this, so forgive me, but I know for sure you can look under shaneflemons.com and it has a synapse of, you know, you can get the books there because I, I just finished my second book. Um, I have other media that I've been on. I'm on YouTube too, but I don't know where, but I know that you can go Shane Flemons, Shane Flemons Media, and then the, you can listen to some of the um, media inter, you know, interviews there. You can go to Amazon and get my book Conviction um, under by Shane Flemons. It's it's Conviction by Shane Flemons, and then you can go to Amazon and get my second book, Deep Conviction by Shane Flemons as well. I would like to get both of those autographed and sent to this household because holy crap, I cannot wait to read them both. Thank you. I'm telling you, Shane. We have to do this long form one day. I know we had a bit of a hiccup getting hooked up together today, but I would like to do a long form show here, like a couple hours, just us bullshitting, shooting the breeze, talking about your life and everything that happened on here. But I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, like people are touching. I guarantee you this will get some very good reaction. I think people are going to want to know more about you and your experiences. And I just appreciate for sharing what you could today. Thanks for having me. I, I appreciate it very much. It's It's a blessing. Thank you, sir. The only thing we don't agree on is God, but we will talk more about that eventually. <laughs> That's fine. At least you have your own personal opinion. <laughs> exactly. And the thing that most people lack nowadays is personal opinion and conversation. That's why I always preach on the show is conversation. You're a big believer in God. I'm a person who's like half in, half out, but I am willing to have that conversation. I think we need more of that in the world. Hey, I wrote about the half in, half out in my book. <laughs> oh, hey, listen, ladies and gentlemen, buy that book by Shane Flemons. He's a hell of a guy, great human being, and just please check out his stuff, and I will post the links in the description of the podcast. Shane Flemons, you have to come back on again. Please promise me you'll come back on again. You let me know. I'll definitely come back. I, I didn't know anything about today, so I apologize. I was, I was oh. eating, and I was like, oh, no, and I headed <laughs> over, and I got the computer, and I would love to hey. come back. Hey, man, you, you know something? We only did about a half hour, but it was a great half hour, and we will do a lot more, I promise you, sir. I appreciate you for coming on the show, and thank you for your time, and I hope everyone buys the book, and I hope you keep on going down that righteous path and keep helping everyone else get down that righteous path, sir. You're doing a good service. Thank you. How can I get you these books? Oh, my goodness. I will text you after the show. I won't say this live because I don't want people sending me, like, knives and hate mail and anthrax and all that weird shit because no. I say some controversial things. Okay. Text me. <laughs> All right, brother. Thank you. Thanks very much.